Hi, I'm Eric Legata, features writer here at the Columbus Dispatch. Today I'm talking with Lauren Schmidt Hisrich, who is the showrunner for Netflix's The Witcher. Lauren grew up in Westerville, Ohio, and that's where we begin our conversation. I wanted to kind of start by talking to you about your Ohio connection. So I think our audience would be really interested in knowing that you you grew up in Westerville, is that correct? I did, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually born in Kentucky, but moved to Ohio when I was really young, so grew up in Westerville uh, and went to Westerville North High School, and then went uh, to college locally as well. I actually went to Wittenberg University right outside of Dayton. Yeah, and I saw you graduated with uh, an English literature degree and a creative writing degree, or just one degree? Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, nope, it was English Lit, yeah, and creative writing as, a, as my focus. Gotcha. Okay. So how did you get your, your career in television? How did that begin? You know, how did you kind of break into television? Um, so honestly, I came to Los Angeles between my junior and senior years of college to visit a family member and just to kind of hang out for the summer. And after I'd been here for a couple of weeks, I actually I started to get a little bored. And a friend of the family said, hey, if you want to come do something, if you want to just answer phones, I'm working working on this new television show and we can put you in an office and you can answer phones. And I was like, well, that sounds kind of interesting. That show happened to be The West Wing. And so I, I interned there that summer answering phones for the line producer at the time. And I started reading television scripts, which is something that I had never done before. All of the creative writing that I'd done had been nonfiction and essays. And I had never even thought about screenwriting as a career path. I had been planning on going back and getting my graduate degree and hopefully teaching English. That was my goal. So so I started reading scripts and I my eyes were open to this entirely new form of writing and it's sort of an entirely new career. So when I left that summer to go finish my senior year, I made sure that everyone on the show knew that if it came back, if it was a huge success, that I would love to come join the staff. And of course, when the West Wing rolled out later that fall, it was a huge success. And so when I graduated, I packed my bags and moved out here. And it was really interesting because I went from being a an intern to a production assistant to a writer's assistant to a researcher. I really worked my way up through that show and was on it for all seven years that it was on the air. And when I left, I was actually part of the writing staff. And then I've never stopped doing it since. Yeah. And I was going to ask, I think I did read that you you do have a couple episodes for a few episodes for The West Wing that you did, that you're accredited as the writer. You wrote some episodes? Yes. So I started writing for The West Wing, I think in season four were the first episodes that I had story by credit and then ended up actually writing a couple of scripts in season five and also in season seven. Yeah. And and then obviously you've you've done a lot for with Netflix shows. I know that, you know, you were behind the Umbrella Academy and uh, Daredevil. So can you kind of talk to me about, I guess, how you kind of worked your way up to being, you know, a showrunner behind this, you know, massive fantasy epic show? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, The Witcher is actually my 10th television show. Mm -hmm. And one of the great things about about writing and television is you actually do get a lot of experience. A lot of shows only last one single season or two seasons. You know, you're lucky to be on a show that lasts seven seasons like The West Wing did. So I was constantly in new productions and writing new things and getting new experiences. And, you know, every, every time you take a new job, the boss expects different things of you. So sometimes you're literally just in a room with other writers all day long, pounding out stories. You know, sometimes you aren't in the room as much 
you're at home writing individual episodes and sometimes you end up on set actually learning about the productions behind television and what it takes to, to get from a script to a TV show and who all the department heads are and sort of what, what everyone's roles are, how it comes into fruition. So, I mean, really my entire career has been an education and, you know, people ask me a lot, you know, what's it been like doing this for, for almost 20 years now? And the truth is, is that it, it really is the best education possible because I have worked at every level of television writing and have had experiences on so many different shows that have really gotten me to interact with the directors and with the actors and with the department heads that I, I felt like by the time I was handed a show of my own, I knew a lot. And the biggest lesson that, you know, my career has given me is that no one person can do everything. It's not my job as a showrunner to, you know, understand, you know, stunt coordination or or how to choose props. It is my job to hire the best possible people and then enable them to do their jobs well um, and trust them to do their jobs well. It's really like, you know, being being the leader at the top is really sometimes about being a cheerleader and just making sure that everyone else feels supported and that they can do their best work. Yeah, and I want to get to, uh, you know, about your time on The Witcher, but before that, I mean, I have to imagine that, you know, being a woman in, in a male-dominated industry probably has come with a lot of challenges and obstacles, so I'm wondering if you would want to, if you can talk about some of that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I personally haven't experienced a lot of obstacles that, you know, being a woman has sort of set in my path at this career, but I know that a lot of other people have, and I think one of the interesting things, or what, what the entertainment industry really needs to focus on, is getting women in the doors earlier. I think part of the reason that I didn't run into a lot of struggles is because I started at the bottom and worked my way up. I think for anyone, male or female, the worst thing that can happen is you can be put in a job that you're not that you don't have the right level of experience for. Um, and then, you know, I've seen it happen to women before, which is you're a woman, you get slotted in this role, um, you make a mistake because you're not, you don't have the right level of experience, and then suddenly it's like, well, you can't do that job. And it's like, well, no, that's setting someone up for failure. What we really should be doing is making sure that the entry-level positions in this industry are given to all different people. For a long time, it was a male-dominated industry. So by the time you got to showrunners, the only people who had the right experience were men. And we can actively be changing that. It's something that I do in my writer's room all the time, which is I make sure that not just the writers come from a diverse background, diverse sexes, um, genders, you know, different places in the world, but also the support staff, also the writer's assistant, the production assistant, the script coordinator. We need to be making sure that both men and women are given those opportunities. It's really the only way to make sure that we get to an industry that's actually supportive of everyone mm -hmm. and I guess when, when you have that you know you know watching The Witcher you know I could kind of get a sense that you know there there are powerful female characters there are you know there's themes touching on you know I kind of felt like you know the the plight of the elves that was kind of touched on in the first season kind of could signify a lot of you know uh, you know, a lot of things that you could see represented in our culture. So kind of like when you have that diverse writer's room, what do you think that brings to, to a show like The Witcher? Oh, my God, it's so important. So it's interesting because a lot now in our industry is we talk about diversity so often. And I think diversity is such an interesting hot button word because diversity is always meant um, skin color. And in fact, it couldn't be more like that couldn't be you know more wrong. Diversity is all about, as you said, experience. It's about genders. It's about sexualities. It's about life experience. It's about where you were born. It's about if you were adopted. What are you bringing into this show as a human? What is your life experience? And you're absolutely right. With a show like The Witcher that is so, well, a lot of fantasies actually, are so planted within 
the politics of our real world. You know, a lot of the things that we touch on, as you mentioned, are, you know, racism, xenophobia, sexism. They were alive. These things were alive and well in the 80s when these books were written and, you know, as much as they are right now. So what's great is to bring in writers and to say, take your own experiences and infuse them into a script. Um, it's something that I feel really strongly about. If you watch, for instance, the first season of The Witcher, there are episodes that are very tonally different. Episode three was written by a writer who has a lot of experience as with horror and with monsters. Episode five was written by a writer who writes a little more romantically and is, is more of a relationship-driven writer. And I want these writers to put all of their own experiences and their own life and their own, what's the right word, their own preferences into a script because that's how the scripts come alive. You know, if, if they're all written from the exact same voice with the exact same point of view, you're going to have a really boring television show. So allowing the writers the freedom to access things that they've gone through, you know, we have writers on the show that are immigrants, obviously. We have writers on the show who have come from very difficult backgrounds and upbringings. And I think that just makes what we're doing a lot more rich. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that, you know, kind of those tonal shifts from episode to episode, because personally, I, I loved that. I felt like each episode I didn't know, you know, it was exciting. I didn't know what I was going to be getting each episode because, you know, like you mentioned, there's elements of horror, mystery, humor, romance, you know, and it almost had like kind of a monster of the week feel within the framework of like a fantasy epic. And I thought that just kind of gave it the show its own place in the in the fantasy realm, but kind of set it apart from, you know, for instance, like, you know, shows like Game of Thrones, which came to an end. So, and I was going to ask you about that too, is the the show naturally has just gotten a lot of Game of Thrones comparisons. So is that something, do you welcome that? Or, you know, what do you think when, when people make that, those, you know, that comparison to Game of Thrones? It's funny because I think very early on when most people asked about the comparison, I think people were saying, like, do you think that The Witcher can be as successful as Game of Thrones? Do you think it can be as popular as Game of Thrones? And that's a comparison that I always welcomed. And one, frankly, that I thought was really flattering. Um, I was a huge Game of Thrones fan. So if someone says that this show has that same potential, that's fantastic. I think the problem is, specifically from a lot of critics, they went into it expecting the same exact vibe of Game of Thrones. And the show The Witcher could not be more different. It is a sweeping fantasy epic. Yes, that is true. And it happens to have a dragon, which, you know, obviously is something that we've, we've seen before. But otherwise, tonally, I think The Witcher is a lot more humorous. It doesn't take itself completely seriously. It has a lot of sort of tongue-in-cheek humor. Geralt himself has a lot of dry wit. We have Yaskir the Bard, who is constantly sort of putting things in perspective and putting a shiny bow on them because that's how he does his job. And then really with Yennefer and Ciri, I think that we have created, obviously, these really sort of strong female characters, you know, but we are also leaning into magic and monsters and things that a lot of television has actually shied away from over the last 10 years or so. I think a lot, you know, personally, because it was difficult to do on TV with a television budget for a long time. And that's not the case anymore. We're given the freedom to actually, you know, explore the CGI that we need to or the prosthetics that we need to um, to make it look fantastical. So I think that that comparison ended up sort of falling flat when the show came out because people started to see that The Witcher is very much its own thing. Yeah. And now I read somewhere that you that you almost turned this project down. So I'm wondering, is that true? And if so, uh, what made you finally decide to, to get involved with The Witcher? Um, 
I did. I did turn it down the first time, and uh, for a really simple reason, which is that I think something with this huge of a fan base that already was this popular. You know, obviously the series is based on on the books by Andrew Sapkowski, and they had such a a wildly passionate fan base. I wanted to make sure that whoever was writing the series would really be able to honor that. I thought that the person writing the series should should be a huge fan of fantasy, should be fully entrenched, should be a big geek, and be able to please those fans. And what ended up happening, I had actually read the first book, which is called The Last Wish. It's a collection of short stories. I read that about a year before Netflix approached me. And after I said no, the executive at Netflix said, do me a favor, read the next couple of books, because I think you're actually going to be surprised the direction that they take. And she was absolutely right. I read Sword of Destiny, and then I read Blood of Elves, which is the first book in the saga. And I was really surprised that while they are a fantasy, at the core of it is really a story about three people who are a disjointed, broken family. And it's a story of these three people who basically are determined not to want or need anyone else in this continent, and in fact very much need each other and, and need to come together in order to survive. And that was a story that appealed to me. And I stepped back and realized that's also a story I thought I could write and write well. And what I realized then when I embarked on the project is that the fantasy part of things is fun. Um, I also get the bonus of writing monsters and magic and battles, these epic battles and sort of gory things that I haven't gotten to do before and some fun sex. And it really is just a, a, a treasure trove of uh, things to write in addition to a story that I really connected to. Yeah, and I know for me, this was kind of my introduction to the Witcher lore. So after I watched the the series, like I, I, I'm waiting to get the book, the, the Last Wish on Amazon. I just ordered it and I got the game. So like I'm like all in on the Witcher right now. <laughs> um, that, but- is, that is the best possible thing I could hear. So two of the things that we noticed after the show came out, one, as I'm sure you've noticed, the books are sold out on Amazon, mm-hmm. which is incredible. To yep. be able to have a television show that comes out and pushes a new audience to seek out the source material. And, and it, for me, as a writer, anytime someone like goes and finds a book, that's a huge win. And then we have broken some great records for the video game. You know, More people were playing Witcher 3 now than when it was actually released a couple of years back. So I think it's so great that what the show has done is brought The Witcher to a wider audience. And now they're seeking out this other material, which is fantastic. Yeah. You know, I remember, too, when I was watching the show, I remember, I can't remember what part it was, but when I realized that the timeline of the story wasn't as straightforward as I had initially thought, it was kind of a jolt. It was like, oh, man, wait, how many years has this taken across? So I guess, why did you and the writers decide to tell the story that way? So, frankly, it started out for uh, wanting to solve a logistical problem which is that as soon as I read Blood of Elves and I saw how important Siri and Yennefer were to Geralt's journey, I actually wanted to bring them up earlier in the story. You know, I didn't want to roll out a episode, or I'm sorry, a show that seemed to be just about Geralt, and then suddenly in later episodes introduce these women and say, actually, the show's about them as well. So I wanted to bring them up earlier, but I also didn't want to abandon the short stories because I felt like they were really the, um, they built the foundation of the continent and the world of the Witchers in such a beautiful way. And the adventures that Geralt goes on, I felt like to lose those would be to lose too much flavor from the world. So I wanted these two things that kind of were contradictory. And the only way that I could have them all together is to start to play with time and to introduce these sort of non-linear timelines. And what's interesting is that the reaction has been so fascinating to me. Because a lot of people are like, wait, I was totally confused at the beginning. Um, and then in episode four, I realized everything that was happening and all of a sudden, all of the pieces sort of came into place. 
to me, that's the reaction I really hoped for, which is, you know, oh my God, I realize that not or what I'm watching isn't uh, everything that it seems to be. And there's actually more to the story. I also heard that they were confusing to some people. And that makes me sad. You know, I wish that I wish that everyone were sort of entrenched in the way that I'd hoped they'd been. The good news is when we come out in season two, the story that we're telling now that everyone is on the same timeline are a lot more linear. They're a lot more sort of standard in the way that we're telling them. And I know we got a little while to wait for season two. I know 2021. So I guess in the meantime, I mean, are you kind of like, are, are all your efforts being put into The Witcher or do you have any other uh, projects in um, television and entertainment that you're involved with, you know, between now and then? I am fully on board The Witcher train right now. Uh, we actually, I'm in London currently and we're actually in prep for season two. Uh, we start production later on in the spring. So we are a fast moving train and yeah, we're, I'm like, I'm fully in at this point. Yeah. And I know I'm excited. I think I saw that you said that all of the scripts are done for season two. So now it's just, it's just about, you know, actually shooting those, those episodes. So, you know, you kind of touched about how season two is going to be a little bit more linear. Is there anything else I guess you can say about the direction that season two will take? Or do you kind of want to keep that under wraps for now? No, I mean, what I can tell you is that all of the scripts are written, but one of the most fascinating and fun parts of television is also seeing what organically develops on set and in production. So we always, I kind of always assume that the scripts are open until they're shot and done, which means as we go through, um, we'll be seeing what works, what didn't work, and even reflecting back on season one and learning lessons from what resonated with fans, what didn't resonate with fans, where we think we can sort of learn and offer improvements in season two. So it's always, scripts are always a work in progress as we go along. What will happen though is that Siri and Geralt and Yennefer will start to intersect a lot more. We're going to start to see the foundations of this this family come together. And it's not always going to be great, frankly. Um, it's not like the three of them come together and everything is perfect and they ride off into the sunset. Um, there's a lot of complications as they start to find each other and as they they learn about each other and then they start to struggle with what what it means that they're all together and what it means for the continent. So I think it's a really fun season. It's um it's got a ton of action and a ton of monsters, but I also think what it really has is a lot of character. I think we're really delving into these three and sort of getting into their relationships and getting into them even as individuals and sort of understanding what makes them what makes them tick. Yeah, well, that sounds really great. I'm really looking forward to it. And I guess I'll have to rely on the books and the game to give me the Witcher content I crave until it comes out, <laughs> until the new season comes out. But um, And I want to ask, do you still have family here? Do you ever get back to Ohio a lot? I think that's something else our readers might be interested in. Absolutely. So my dad still lives there and my brother still lives there actually with his wife and two kids. And we come back to Ohio uh, at least a couple of times a year. I love Columbus and, uh, you know, I, I want to go back as, as often as I can. And honestly, like I'm a huge Ohio State Buckeyes fan. So I uh, I put on my Scarlet and Gray every, every Saturday in the fall and watch football and I watch basketball season. So no, I keep, uh, I keep a lot of ties there. I really love coming back. Yeah. And do you live in Los Angeles with your family? Yes, I live in Los Angeles now. Gotcha. So I've been there, yeah, with my husband and two kids for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, other than that, Lauren, I think I covered all the questions I had for you. So unless there's anything else you want to add? Awesome. This has been great, Eric. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been really great talking with you. Thank you. You as well. And uh, I hope that you make it through the next year or so uh, on the games and the books. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds great. Well, thank you so much again. Have a great rest of your day. Okay. You as well. Take mm -hmm. care. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Lauren, for taking the time to talk. If you'd like to read an entire article about Lauren, head to dispatch.com. Dispatch.